Hello and welcome to True Crime People and Places, the podcast where we explore the world of true crime from an academic and personal perspective. I'm Linda Sage, a criminal psychologist with over four decades of experience working with some of the most dangerous individuals in the world. This is a fairly new podcast and we are developing the systems and growing our audience, so we appreciate your support and feedback. This podcast may contain discussions of violence, murder, sexual assault and other topics related to true crime. Listener discretion is advised. If you are sensitive to these topics, please be aware that this podcast may be triggering you. If at any time you feel overwhelmed or distressed, please take a break and seek support from a mental health professional or support organisation. Hi and welcome back to uh, True Crime, People and Places. I have an incredible guest with me today. First one of the new series, so I'm very, very pleased to uh, bring on Lisa K. Bell. Now, uh, it's a young lady who's had a lot of experience in life and I'm so glad that we're going to be bringing this subject up because I know it is something that is so important for so many people. So coercive behaviour is really now we're young people and older people but with young people crime going up violent crime it is so important and not only has she uh, survived it she's now making headways going out and helping other people actually avoid it so lisa thank you so much for being with me hi thank you thanks for having me on so tell us a little bit about you in case people that are listening to us haven't heard of you who are you so um, I'm Lisa K. Bell and I run an organisation called Soundproof Box and we are in essence a domestic abuse, coercive control, um, not-for-profit organisation. So what we do is we educate people on um, the behaviours of coercive control and narcissistic um, traits. We also go into schools and have a theatre production that looks at early intervention and preventing young people going into these toxic relationships in the future. So the theatre the production is kind of the main part of the organisation, but we do offer workshops as well in workplaces and, and schools in and around this topic. And it's really about, um, from a school perspective, prevention um, and early intervention. And from a workplace perspective, it tends to be around support for people who are in those types of relationships, because obviously they're bringing their problems into work and uh, it affects their concentration levels. Okay. I mean, uh, and most people on the planet have heard about domestic violence, but coercive behaviour is not always on people's lips. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what it actually is? Yeah, coercive behaviour is about control and power. So it's about one person having control and power over you. And that might be through various traits. It might be through some overt um, behaviours, such as controlling your finances, controlling what you wear, isolating you from family and friends. Um, through to some of the more subtle types of things like belittling and negative reinforcement, gaslighting, which I'll talk about in a bit, and, and some of those kind of narcissistic behaviours as well and self-serving behaviours that um, abusers can have. 
And I know you spoke earlier about young people and you're doing a lot of work with young people, but this is not just a young person's issue. This affects anybody from any walk of life. And I I know we've had previous discussions on this. It doesn't have a status attached to it. It doesn't have a culture and it certainly doesn't have an age. So anybody can face this. And I'm actually seeing a lot of reports of older people um, raising the issue of coercive control in relationships because there's more awareness out there. You're starting to see people in their 70s, early 80s reporting um, that they're in a coercive relationship. And that's because of people like me that are raising awareness around this. Very, very much and also when you think about going back in culture a little bit I know I'm speaking from like my mum's point of view um, although she worked all her life a lot of her generation didn't but she never knew uh, who uh, how much was in the bank account or you know what uh, what was going on because that was the way things were then and you know, I think a lot of people and domestic violence wasn't seen as domestic violence because the society didn't put so much emphasis on it either yeah i mean a lot of people were codependent um and i think that's why you're seeing this whole wave of uh, a bit of a revolution around it where people are coming to the realization because they're less codependent on someone else for their income particularly women you know and i i've got a granddad who's 97 i can remember having a chat with him and women of his generation as soon as they got married gave up work so that meant they gave up an income. And if they were in a relationship that wasn't particularly um, supportive or healthy, they were stuck. Yeah, very much. And just just to highlight this, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about women um, in, in this respect. It's not only women orientated, is it? No. And as an organisation, we support men as well in this perspective. Um, and particularly with sort of narcissism and those cluster B personalities, we see quite a lot of that in, in sort of with female perpetrators and male. Um, and some of the characteristics are things like removal of children, stopping fathers from seeing their kids at the very sort of fundamental point of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think, you know, thinking this through, and again, when we talk about people getting into relationships, I, I, I know from experience that you know, people in domestic abuse relationships take an awful long time to get out of them. And when they do finally make get the courage to go out, because that's a really dangerous scenario to actually leave one, they then meet somebody else and go back into the next relationship that's exactly the same. Yeah, they get a cycle of abuse and sometimes it's sitting back. And I know from my own perspective, I've been seven years single. And what I've done in that seven years is spend time to think about why do I keep going into these types of relationships where they look familiar and they look interesting and they're people that on the outside are very charming and portray a very uh, nice perspective because a lot of abusers have fragile egos. And what you don't see is their fragile ego. You see the charm, the manipulation, the glossing over everything. But underneath it is a really crippled child, inner child, whether that be a male or a female. And and we're talking about a psychological and emotional here. Usually they're not very good at opening up and showing feelings or demonstrating to, to somebody else. But they, they can if it's part of the facade that they're putting up? Yeah, I mean, every 
things about self-serving so if it serves their narrative and serves their agenda and serves the purpose for them then they can be very charming very um yeah it's like the con artist yeah. i call them i call them the james bond um abusers because they they are absolutely charming as anything you know you've got prince or princess charm in there um but underneath is not what you're seeing on the surface. What's going on inside their mind is actually a lot of torment and a lot of torture, which not only comes from, well, it can come from one of two places. It can come from either trauma in childhood or it can come from an overinflated, uh, being put on a pedestal by one or both of your parents as well. So it, it depends on the type of childhood someone's had uh, as to how they um portray themselves now not everybody with a tortured childhood or being put on a pedestal as a child ends up being an abuser um or would all be uh, pretty much in a bad place if that was the case I mean, that, that's one of the things that I get asked a lot about, you know, people that have been abused that go on to abuse, but not everybody does. But they do have um, a traits like um, self, uh, self-harm or addictive personalities and things like this. I think, you know, this comes into sort of a semi-realm of overlap on this as well, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And, and it depends on where you sit on the empathic scale. So if you're naturally quite empathic as an individual, you're probably not going to display those abusive behaviours, but you might be more likely to go into an abusive relationship. Whereas if you lack empathy as an individual, you're more likely to be on the narcissistic abusive scale. Um, yeah. And, and the thing is, I mean, this this goes through the generations. And you, you spoke yourself about you being in this type of relationship, you know, and with your daughter. How have you managed to sort of stave her away from making the same mistakes? She's quite well grounded, actually. She's um, we call out bad behaviour, and from a very early age, she's been able to detect when something doesn't look right and when something does look right. Um, She's quite logical as well in her approach. Um, so she's able to assess situations. And I think she's less, she's very, she's very caring, but she's, mm, she's less empathic than I am. That, that's not that she's not got any empathy. She's just more, um, straight and more logical and able to take something and assess the situation. And she's been able to do that from a very young age. So I don't know if I've been blessed with, uh, a child that, that can do that or whether or not it's something in her you know something that I've nurtured um certainly told us to be independent and speak out on things so yeah and that's what I do with other kids now I'm telling them to speak out in the right way it's not always appropriate for them to speak out sometimes it can be dangerous but it's being able to get that and being able to speak to the right people in the right way well, I mean, you've done an awful lot of work with this and, and building up this theatre that you are now taking out and about. And I know you'd be very good at getting funding, but it's it's not an overnight success, is it? it no, this is uh, this has been a labour of love for about seven years for me. Um, it's starting to come to fruition now, and I'm really proud of the work that I've done. But I've been researching narcissistic abuse, coercive control for oh, a good six, seven years now. Uh, and I've got a really good measure on everything from language patterns to the um, patterns of behaviour through to how victims respond as well and how they feel. 
Um, I've had two back-to-back relationships. I've had one that uh, overtly narcissistic and quite um, aggressive, and then I've had one that was more covert and a little bit harder, and the person was more stoic. So, um, yeah, I think <laughs> I think a bit of life experience and a whole lot of research has, has got me to this stage. And, and when do you, you take it out? Obviously, you do the performances with with, with actors that are, 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 are taking a dialogue that you've you've prepared. So, what hits you uh, sometimes? Thinking, my goodness, this is something that keeps coming up, and people keep picking up on. I think it's the the subtleties of the gaslighting. There's a there's a scene in there where he gaslights her, and he. Uh, twist the narrative to suit his own agenda um and actually that's where i find the audience has got oh okay um and then we've used technology in there as well so we've used uh, snapchat and there's something called snap maps which goes over the heads of most of the adults in the audience but the kids go oh he's following on snap maps he's controlling her he's stalking her so what we've been able to do is take some of the behaviours, some of my experience and some of my knowledge, but overlay that with some of the modern technology and things that people are doing in in teen relationships now to be able to control, abuse and uh, stalk. Have you, have you had anybody come up to you at the end of uh, a performance or, or a talk that you've done and they've actually said you know, that now they can see things that they couldn't see before? I had an older lady that came up to me after the last performance and said, I didn't realise I'd been in an abusive relationship for years. Not been in it for a long time now, but I'm looking back and all those behaviours, all the things and all the characteristics that I saw in my ex-partner um, and also the way that the um, victim in the show behaved. She recognised herself in that person. Um, there was also a family member of mine that some questions of one of the actors at the end and that was quite telling as well in that she she asked um, some questions and uh, afterwards she said that it was really powerful and that she could understand some of the uh, behaviour from her own perspective. Yeah, I, it, it is sometimes that we accept things as, well, this is normal or this is just how they are or we make excuses. So, so we're actually you know, sort of reinforcing their behaviour as well. And I think the question that this family member asked was of the victim, because we do a hot seating piece where they get to interview the characters, and she asked the victim, do you stay because the good times outweigh the bad? And I thought that was a really poignant question, because actually that told me a little bit about their experience, but also not just theirs, but other people in the audience's experiences. And you, you've talked a little bit about uh, there's red flags, which is very ominous with what you're doing. So if you were saying, if you were talking to the younger you, what would you say would be the the the, the first sort of maybe one th- or two, three red flags that come out that you would look for? I'd say very early on in the relationship, being overly love bombed, so over the top affection. I think certainly. In the first relationship I was in, not only was I love-bombed and told I was wonderful and given a fashion show in clothes, I was only in my 20s, and then he moved me in very quickly into his parents' house, and that was that was quite, you know, looking back at my, 
my 40 odd year old self looking back at my 20 something self is going no why did you move in why did you do that because then I stopped seeing my parents stopped having relationship with my friends and I didn't notice any of that that early grooming stage the love bombing the uh the moving you into quickly and then there was the gradual belittling and putting me down telling me what I could and couldn't wear um you know, to a point where I just didn't know what clothes suited me anymore without asking permission. Yeah, so you, lo- you lose your own self-worth, your own confidence. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so I think the early stages. And actually, I've just been on holiday recently. And while I was away, a chap started into, into being in a conversation I was having with a, a couple out there. And he kept saying things that were putting me down and belittling me and in the end I just went can you stop it please now in the old days I'd just let him carry on but I'm like no I'm not having this he was taking the mickey out of my accent he was um talking about that I've got some wrinkles around my eyes now this was a chap I had never ever met in my life he's someone by the swimming pool on holiday um but straight away I noticed what he was trying to do. Yeah, he he comes across as attack mode straight away. Yeah, it was a bit it was a bit overt for my liking, you know. I I usually prefer a challenge if someone's going to try and uh, try and uh, be horrible to me. It wasn't it wasn't much of a challenge. It just told him to get lost. I, luckily things I mean definitely here in the UK we can't talk about uh, other countries at the moment but here in the UK uh, laws have changed so uh, you know in the in the last decade completely we, you know we have had more support legally but it's still a long battle it, it's not something that you can actually get support with overnight legally no and just because we've passed the law in this country doesn't mean that the police, the courts are equipped to deal with it. So coercive control has been a law in the UK since 2015. Um, and even up until this year where they just put in post-separation abuse. So it didn't it didn't reflect you being out of the relationship with somebody because as we said earlier, you know, it's not you don't have to be in a relationship with someone for them to still try and coercively control you. They can do it through children, through the court system, through divorce, or whatever mechanism. Now that wasn't unlawful until I think they just changed the law again this year on it. Um so yeah, it's recent it's fairly recent, it's eight years old. The police are still not equipped to deal with it, the courts are still not equipped to deal with it. And actually in two weeks time I've been asked to go and talk to West Yorkshire Police about coercive control. So I'm I'm getting invited in to talk to them around what does this look like from a lived experience perspective. And I think that's a very keen point that you know before um prosecutions for domestic violence were difficult because People would back down because they were scared. You know that they, you know, they didn't think they they would be believed. And this is part of the control mechanisms as well. Uh, yeah, and from my own perspective, even until recently, I was interrogated for five hours in a courtroom because I cited coercive control against the previous partner. Five hours of investigation for someone who's raised it as a complaint. Yeah, so the... like I was under the spotlight. 
the 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 victims or the survivors you know are, are also under under a lot of duress because the the uh, perpetrator very often comes across like you said before as plausible you know as, as a, a nice person in the courtroom yeah yeah and one of, one of the things particularly with people who i've got i'm going to use the word suspected narcissistic personality disorder because very few get um diagnosed because they just don't. They just don't go and seek help or, or recognise that they've got anything. But one of the characteristics, and particularly in my case, is gathering of information and surveillance that can be used at a later date. So because someone who's narcissistic has a very weak ego, what they don't want to do is run the risk of being found out. So they will gather information, birthday cards, celebrations, photographs, anything that will protect their ego and make the other person look ridiculous. So there was a photograph of me drunk in the back of a taxi, but it was 14 years old. Yeah. You know, it, it was before I'd had a child, before I got married, and it didn't reflect me today, but yeah, it was used in a court of law against me because that person had gathered surveillance on me and gathered in intelligence. It's almost like they've done a big old intelligence operation just purely on me. And I'm quite confident, and I, I just joked and said, wow, someone's been stalking me. <laughs> but, well, this, but that's how it felt. But this is one of the things that, as you say, it's taken you seven years to get to where you were now. If you were looking at the person seven years ago that came out of this relationship, you know, how 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 much of that person is still left? No, that person's gone now. That person was a mess. And I'm going to be really honest. And I, I tried to take my own life in 2017 as a result of coercive control. I could not cope. It was horrible. And I was saved. And I'm glad I was because I'm here to help other people. And actually, that's been a really cathartic thing for me being able to support, identify what's happened and help other people. I didn't need a court system or a police officer or anyone to tell me what I'd gone through because I'd lived it and I've survived it. And I am got so much better. <laughs> and it's amazing what, you, what you're doing now. So just to sum up, you know, that... For the future, how do you see coercive behaviour being able to be um, <laughs> wonderful if we could abolish it, or at least you know the the, the legal system really be able to to work through it? So how, how do you think? Yeah, right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something about this new generation. Generation Z, I love them because they're outspoken. They'll say what they think and they'll do it. And the more of that we can manifest. And, and point in the right direction, the more we're going to out these behaviours. I had a couple of girls sat in my show a few weeks ago and said, I wouldn't let that happen because, and I said, brilliant. So what would you do if that was a friend of yours? So I, I think we're at a turning point. I don't think we're ever going to abolish it, but I think we do have a generation of young people that are willing to speak out on social issues. And whether that be coercive control and domestic abuse or LGBT, uh, Q rights or, or whatever, gender inequality, we do, we are fostering this new generation of, of kids that are getting outspoken. And I think that's where my work is now to 
encourage that more, but channel it in the right way so that we can educate the police, we can educate the court system, because 10, 20 years' time, these will be the police, these will be the court system. Very much so, and I think it's a it's a great thing that we're moving towards, but uh, like any social change, is going to take time and perhaps even generations because as the older generation are again scared of actually moving away they've been in this relationship so long that they take it for granted that this is how it is you know I'm I'm better in what I know than being in something I don't know yeah yeah Uh, better the devil you know brush it under the carpet um but I do think we are in a wave of change I think those generations of it's too embarrassing to talk about you know we talk about a lot of topics now that were embarrassing 20 years ago to talk about very much so lisa k bell seven years on you are this magnificent uh, lady that's out there you know like joan of Arc going out into battle with uh, <laughs> social equalities so what, what do you think the next seven years are going to be um, well, I'm hoping I'm starting to see the, the fruits of my labour so that I've got kids coming back and saying, do you know what, your your performance stopped me staying in this relationship or I was able to speak out on behalf of my friends or do you know what, I want to come and work for you. Um, we do have big plans as an organisation. We are taking it globally. Uh, so we're about to set up an organisation up in America that means we can licence the theatre production across America and I've been asked to translate it into at least five other languages to get it across Europe and South America so uh, and not only will I be getting this new generation that are kids coming up to me and saying you help me stay out of this type of relationship uh, but they'll be doing it on a global scale <laughs> so yeah I've got big plans <laughs> I think this is something, again, you know, just taking it back to your daughter, uh, I believe that you've spoken about before that uh, the actual bud of the idea came from your daughter because she didn't like um, PowerPoint presentations. Yeah, I wanted to go into schools in the UK teaching coercive control, teaching kids about coercive control with a PowerPoint presentation. And she said, uh, no one wants an old lady with a PowerPoint. Think again, Mum. Do something a bit more interactive. <laughs> So from small acorns, we've got big oak trees growing. Absolutely. And I'm hoping she's going to sit on the board of directors in the next 10 years as well. Although, I don't know. She's more of a photographer. (laughs) So, Lise, if anybody wants to get hold of you or know more about you, what's the best way of getting in touch? Um, Info at soundproofbox.org, which is our um, email address. We are in the middle of uh, changing the website, but at the moment it's soundproofbox.org. Um, and if anyone is in the Leeds area, we are on the 9th of June doing a Red Flag Theatre production at Chapel Arts FM, 1 o'clock on the 9th of June. Um, that is also available in an online format. So if you want the Zoom link, drop me an email at info at soundproofbox.org. I'll send you the link and you can hop online. Fabulous. So thank you so much for your time today because I know we caught you in between meetings and you know, you're a very, very busy lady. So I really appreciate uh, you dedicating the time to us. So for me, thank you for being with us uh, again. Thank you for joining us all today. And uh, next time we will be back with some other fantastic information. Meantime, look after yourself and we will be back soon. Bye for now. 
Thank you for listening to True Crime People and Places. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. And if you have any suggestions for future topics, please let us know. See you next time.